It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through right it. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the uh, the second day of the 14th year of uh, this radio program. I'm Tom Sumner, your host. we got a good one in store today. In fact, we're going to start out talking about sex. <laughs> what better way to get a new year of uh, doing shows started no actually uh, we're going to talk with the uh, author of a book called sex a love story and uh his name is uh, jerome gold and he'll uh, join me coming up in in just a few minutes um, then we're going to take a decidedly spiritual turn as we talk with uh, author wendell white in the second hour uh, about his harrowing experiences and uh, what he describes in his book, The Devil Thought He Had Me. And uh, finally, uh, in the third half of our three-hour tour, we're going to talk with uh, Linda Crump. and uh, Or no, not Linda Crump. Who are we going to talk to uh, coming up in the third half of our three? Oh, Joan Murray. Um She's written a book called You Can Trust Him, Anchoring Your Hope in God During Difficult Times. Uh, in any event, uh, we've got a good 
show in store but we're going to start out with a little music now this is uh, kind of a throwback to the days when we used to have people come into the studio and perform and we haven't been able to do that since uh, moving the the studio to the bunker here um, uh, well a little over a year ago probably well just before the pandemic and uh, I, I I bring that up because we have an extra couple minutes and whenever we have an extra couple minutes I like to squeeze in local artists as I'm uh, about to do with uh, Gwen Pennyman Hemphill and uh, one of my favorite songs and, and performances by her on the Tom Sumner program but also to um, just sort of say that now that I'm fully vaccinated and more and more people are getting vaccinated and restrictions are are going to start easing up over this summer i'm looking forward to getting out and doing shows remotely from different locations and and hopefully you'll be able to join us for one or more of those and uh, we'll get a chance to see each other in person which is is the one thing I miss. Everything else, uh, doing the show from the bunker here at home hasn't hasn't been all that bad, and we've had some great guests like the one ones we're going to have coming up on the show today. Um, but I'm really looking forward to getting out and about, um, not just personally, but with the show, and uh, you know, perhaps uh, opening a new a new studio at some point i don't know but we will definitely get armchair politics out on the road and uh and maybe we'll do some friday shows in venues where we can have live music again that would be that would be something to shoot for so maybe we'll we'll fundraise and plan in that direction and the best path to that folks is get vaccinated and uh, keep following the protocols till we beat this thing anyway gwen uh, pennyman hempel from a performance live on the tom sumner program next what a day this has been what a ramble i'm in why it's Almost like being in love There's a smile on my face For the whole human race And it's almost like being in love All the music of life seems to be Like a bell that is ringing Just for me And from the when that bell starts to feel I would swear I was falling Swear I was falling Why it's almost like being in love All the music of life seems to be Just like a bell that is ringing Just for me And from the way that I feel 
much to feel I would swear I was falling Really, 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 really falling It's almost like being in love Oh, yeah hey, Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My uh, guest this hour is the author of a book called Sex, A Love Story. Uh, his name, he's written a number of books, but uh, we're going to talk with him about, uh, about this book today. His uh, name is Jerome Gold, and he joins me uh, by phone. Jerome, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad uh, to be here. Jerome, I'm going to ask right off the bat, because for me it's kind of the elephant in the room. Um, what does sex have to do with love? It may not have anything to do with love. On the other <laughs> hand... <laughs> that was one of my on favorite lines from MASH. There was a party going on, and uh, Colonel... Uh, was it Henry Blake, I think, played by uh, McQueen yeah. Stevenson, just bellows out in in a brief moment of silence in the in the crowd noise. Um, what does love have to do with sex? <laughs> well, to answer the question anyway, um, I, what the book is about is about two kids who are drawn to each other sexually. They're they're just powerfully attracted to each other. These are high school kids; they're seniors in high school. And uh, in circa nineteen sixty. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The book takes place over most of it takes place over a two year period from nineteen sixty to say nineteen sixty two. So it's, it's the end of of one era, the Eisenhower era, and the beginning of the Kennedy era, and and everything that that is ushered in in the sixties. Uh, including sexual liberation, although, of course, these kids don't know that's going to happen. They're just listening to their bodies. But neither of them um, anticipates that they're going to fall in love. And what I'm interested in mainly is, uh, well, to answer the question, sex can lead to love, or at least sexual attraction can lead to love. I suppose um, love, um, if... If um, the people, if the people in love are lucky, can lead to a satisfactory sexual life. Um, but I'm interested mainly in the emotions that uh, accompany uh, sex and love, and um, something that um, I don't know if it can be taught. I think it has to be experienced to be appreciated. They're not all pleasant emotions. And, and the book has has gotten high praise from people for not being just about the title "Sex: A Love Story," but um, really talking about relationships of all kinds. But I'm I'm curious about what inspired this book for you, if it had anything to do with the work you did with children in prison. You know, I thought about that. Um, I don't see a direct linkage, although because I was a counselor, I, was, I worked in a children's prison for 15 years, 
Um, I'm not. I'm not talking about uh, a detention in a city or a county. I'm talking about a state prison where everybody there is, or at least almost everybody there is a convicted felon. Um, and as a counselor, I, uh, I, I'd have some kids on my caseload, say for over two years, and you get to know them pretty pretty well, and they they talk openly with you. And it wasn't as though sex was a, was a major topic of conversation between us, but they they weren't shy about talking about um, their experiences and their doubts and all the things that kids go through. I have to say, though, that um, for kids in prison, they don't wind up in prison accidentally. Things happen to them. In a sense, I, I regard them really as being victimized twice. Uh, once they were born into wrong circumstances and victimized as, as children. And then because they victimized somebody else later in their life, or maybe more than one person later in their life, they went to prison, which is another kind of victimization. Um, I don't want to get into, uh, I'd rather not get into philosophical. Uh, yeah, we're, we're not going to focus on prison reform today, Jer Jerome. Okay. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll stick to books and love and why the 60s <laughs> and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I, so I remember this one boy. I, w I worked in a boys' unit at the time. Later I worked in a, a girls' unit, and after that I worked in maximum security. But in the boys' unit, he had fallen hard for uh, this girl. We had a school on campus, and he had fallen hard for this girl and these other boys were making fun of him. He was just embarrassed he, at, at having told this one boy how, how he was feeling, about how, how he felt about the girl. And so they were making fun of him in a good-natured way, but he was still pretty embarrassed. And I realized that for all the things that they had done to get into prison, they were really naive about some things, the boys especially. Later when I worked on the girls' unit and then in maximum security, which was co-ed, um, I got, and I got to know some girls, but I realized that girls of the same age were much more experienced than boys, uh, both both with both with uh, their sexual activity that they had experienced and the emotions accompanying it. They thought about it. They thought about what it all meant. And boys were just it was just like a light bulb had suddenly gone off, uh, gone on, and it wouldn't turn off. As is the case with young boys, often. Yes, um, yeah. Boys are boys tend to be much more impulsive. Boys of that age. Well, and some older boys too. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, um, yeah. We had a sign up in the, one of our in the boys' unit. Said, "I think it's the Nike sign. Just do it." <laughs> and uh, that was a bad thing. <laughs> that, yeah. that didn't work. <laughs> you ask you ask a kid why he did something so stupid, and he'd point he'd point to the sign. He says, "Just do it." So I did it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. You usually uh, hope that there's something else in mind, but when you say "just do it," especially to young boys, there's only one thing they think about. More with author Jerome Gold straight ahead. 
And now out there, everybody, it's me, Tigger, T-I-Double-G-R, that spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. 
and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with author Jerome Gold straight ahead. Um, but, but in this book and the story you tell, what is it you're trying to get across? Actually, I didn't approach the book. I didn't approach writing the book with anything in mind. It, it happened accidentally. I got this phone call one day from somebody I hadn't seen in about 40 years. And we had been really close when we were in high school together. And it led to a series of phone calls and emails over a period of several years, off and on. And uh, so I began taking notes on it, on what we were talking about. I, I keep a journal to help me think something through or if something's troubling me. And uh, as I was taking notes, I realized that pretty quickly, uh, I started incorporating things I was making up. And I couldn't keep myself from doing it. And the things that, that were getting into it that had nothing to do with, uh, uh, w- with this girl or this woman now, with this woman or with me, came from other people. Uh, things I'd heard over, over my lifetime, things I'd, I'd been told, um, some things I'd experienced, um, and just some things that I don't know where they came from. But as I've noticed with other books I've done, if um, I call this procedure where I'm just making notes, I call it play in order to to, uh, to keep myself from committing myself to any line of thought until until I'm ready. Um, so I noticed that it was taking on a, a certain a certain line. I didn't know how it was going to end, and of course the ending is where you try to pull everything together and, and make it clear clearer to the reader what your themes are. Uh, and I had no idea how it was going to end. I wrote the, end, the ending in several different ways, I think three or four different ways, uh, both in terms of craft and in terms of substance, and finally decided on the one that, on the one that I had finally decided on one. Um, so what, am I, what was I trying to get at? I was just trying to tell an emotionally moving story. I wanted people to feel, I wanted people to, to be able to identify with these two kids because I liked them both. Um, I'm talking about the kids in the book. I'm not talking about this conversation now. Right, right. Um, so I liked them both and especially Jen, the girl, um, she took on characteristics of, uh, that I, I could not have anticipated. I some, something I had never thought about before. Um, I don't want to give too much away. She becomes tr- kind of a tragic figure. I mean, she doesn't die, but she becomes kind of a tragic figure, and I hadn't anticipated that at all. I thought that when I first started, not when I first started, but after I realized I was writing a book, I thought it was just going to be a fun, maybe risque book, but it turned out to be something that I regard much more than that. And, I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah, well, I've, 
yes and no, but but yes. Um, with this book and the process of writing it, whenever you sit down to tell a story, you have a story in mind, you have some characters in mind. I'm always curious about the creative process and where those things come from. But also there's an element to the story that tells itself, and it sounds like you experienced a lot of that with this book. Um, well, I was I, I was interested in the characters. When I sit down to write anything, the first is is because I have some characters in mind that I want to deal with. I just want to write about them in some way. And at some point, sentences just start appearing to me in my mind, sometimes complete paragraphs. And I just start writing them down. That's part of what I call the pl- call playing. When I, said, when I said making notes, that's what I was talking about. Jerome, that's interesting because, you know, I ask a lot of writers, you know, what comes first, the story, and and you cast it with people that something like that would likely happen to, or do you come up with the characters first and then explore what they might do and get into? And it sounds like this, at least for this book, it was sort of driven by the characters. Yeah, I think... I think that's true of all of my books except for one. I, um, one I wrote really early on, early on in my career. Um, but all the other books are driven by characters. Um, now, I have talked to other writers. Uh, actually, I thought that everybody wrote that way, but I was wrong. I met some other writers who, for them, it's just the opposite. They, they figure out the plot first, and then they populate it. And figure, Yeah, they cast it like a movie yeah. and figure yeah. out, you know, who would likely have these things happen to them. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's why I always ask that because there, those are two ways that you can go about, um, putting together a story, but however it comes together as a story, um, for most people, there's a certain amount of research that you have to do. Um, when you're writing a, a story like this that's kind of personal and intimate for the characters, how do you research for that? Well, in this case, uh, this woman and I began talking on the phone um, a couple of years before a high school reunion. We didn't go to the same high school. We were the same age, approximately the same age. She was a year younger, but we were in the same grade. But we went to different high schools. We met in a in a summer school class um, that was open to um, some kids from uh, from various high schools. Um, so my high school, she wasn't going to be at my high school reunion. But while I was there. Um, and leading up to the reunion, we, I started making contact, or people were making contact with me um, in anticipation of the reunion. I had never been to one before, and this was going to be my 50th. Um, so I wanted to go to this one. And we just started just talking about sharing memories um, and catching up somewhat on what had become of us, of us and of others who didn't live as long. Um, it sparked other memories. You know, I've, I've lost track of your question. <laughs> um, what I was saying is, how do you go about researching 
you know, oh, to right. fill in certain right. gaps and, and, you know, add elements of reality to a story you're telling when it's something that's somewhat intimate and personal for the characters involved. Yeah. Well, in this case, I didn't really have to do any historical research. I mean, I lived through the period, and uh, and I lived in that area. It, it takes place in Orange County, California, Southern California. And uh, I had been back there a number of times because my sister used to continue to live there. Um, I had... I've always tried to write about the things in life that I have considered important. I've never, I had never written much about sex, but certainly it's important. At least, well, it is important. I mean, even if it isn't important to some individual, it's still important to human life. And I wanted to write about that uh, eventually, but I didn't know what I was going to write or even if I actually would ever write about it. So I'd always say beginning in the 70s um, with with women discovering their own sexuality or rediscovering their own sexuality that influenced me also and I just I just had this um, a small library um, it contains some erotica but mostly it contains um, uh, memoirs and oral histories and of, of mostly by women actually I think all by women I can't think of any men who or anything like this. Um, John Hupdeck, I guess, uh, with uh, couples and his and his rabbit books, the rabbit trilogy. Yeah. Uh, you remember Hupdeck? Yes. Yeah. Um, I can't think of any other men. I write. I know another writer who wrote a short novel about swinging, but he never published it. As far as I know, he never published it. But almost all of the literature I've read on it was done by women, especially on the East Nin, who wrote um, well, wrote a lot. I think she's most well known in the United States for her diaries. They were published in the seventies and maybe the eighties too. Jerome, when you write and and you've written a lot of books, you've written poetry and and some other shorter pieces. But in all of your writing. Um, do you have an audience in mind? No. <laughs> I, I know there are some people who follow follow me, They're pro- probably through Amazon. I don't know how they follow me, but I know there are some people who follow me because when I've read some of their comments on, the, um, on Amazon or Goodreads, um, it's clear that they've read a, a number of books by me, that, that they, they see patterns in my writing that I hadn't been aware, I hadn't thought about, hadn't been aware of it. But But you've got, but the the main characters in your book, Sex, A Love Story, are Bob and Jen, and they're high school seniors and sweethearts around, well, the end of, it's described as the end of the Eisenhower era and the beginning of the Kennedy era, as you put it earlier. but usually when you target characters that are high school seniors, it's for a book that's designed maybe for young adult readers. And I don't get that sense from your book. Well, it, it wasn't designed for them. It was designed for, I guess, people like me who, who, who look back 
on when they were young adults. I, I don't know that uh, these kids are pretty forward, especially Jen. Um, but it is kind of a coming-of-age story. Yes, it is. It is. Um, what has happened, regardless who I meant, who I thought was going to read the book, <laughs> um, it seems to have a, a bigger effect with uh, with younger people, younger women at least. Um, some of the reviews of, that I've received so far have been written by younger women. One especially who said she was the same age as my characters, and the book meant a lot to her. She, these are published reviews I'm talking about now. Right. Um, so that was kind of surprising. I thought that it might frighten them, but I wonder now if it doesn't frighten if it wouldn't frighten their parents more than it does them. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> now this book, um, well, as as we're talking, it's scheduled to come out today. Yeah, there's been a delay. Um, the printer, um, it's, it, it's it'd be another month. The printer, uh, I guess a number of his, of the actual printers, the people working there, have come down with COVID. Oh. And so everything has been delayed. Um, this is a, that's, you know, that's another question that I've been asking writers, at least over the last year, is, you know, how the how the pandemic has influenced, you know, their their writing, their work, their productivity, and and also the the business of of getting a book published and released. It's scheduled to come out now. What uh, sometime in perhaps late May? I scheduled for June first right now. Okay. The, the book should be in print within the next couple of weeks, but it takes about a month to get to the stores. And and I imagine it's probably uh, uh, available online for pre-order and. Oh yeah, yeah. That sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I understand that people are doing that. Yeah. Um, the, the people who distribute my books—that's um, uh, what they tell me. Jerome, uh, you know, I, I want to get back to that question about coming out with a book during the the pandemic right. because a lot of the the business of getting a book out and published is making a certain amount of uh, personal appearances and. You know, book signings and and uh, book readings and that sort of thing, and and I always right. ask writers because writing is such a solitary thing uh, for most people. Um, do you enjoy that part of of writing and and publishing the the part of getting out and interacting with people? Actually, I do. I, I enjoy reading in public. Um, and I enjoy answering questions, um, um, especially if, especially if the person's read the book, but it's not necessary if they have. The best experience I had was, was to a, a book club. I don't remember how many people were there, um, say 15 or 20 people, and they had all read the book. And so and this, this is a different book I'm talking about now, yeah. this early on. But they had all read the book, and they had the best questions, um, when I when I say I enjoy answering questions, I find them they can be very stimulating, and I enjoy that. Yeah, I would think, and and you touched on something that I thought was kind of interesting about having people comment on things you've written, and and make points about things that maybe you didn't necessarily I- intend or or even notice about something you'd written. That's true. Um, 
Um, and it's not a matter of errors. It's just a matter of interpretation. It's usually a matter of interpretation. And uh, their interpretations are valid, although one young woman really surprised me with with one with an interpretation that I, it was valid, but it was really strange. <laughs> and, well, another, and a faculty, a, a, a professor of philosophy. My first, was it my first? Yeah, my first published novel. It was a war novel. I was in Vietnam, and it takes it takes place in Vietnam. And um, um, I remember one reviewer said it was the saddest book he'd ever read. But this professor of philosophy at one of my readings um, asked me if I considered it a comedy, and I I figured no. I mean, <laughs> there's there's some really dark humor in it, but I don't consider the book a comedy. And he said, "Well, it's a comedy." He'd written his dissertation on on comedy, and it was a comedy. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I I never have figured out what he meant by comedy, or whether he, whether it meant the same thing to him as the word funny. <laughs> well, yeah, because there is that that whole comedy tragedy thing that I still don't have completely clear in my head. Um, yeah. What about? Um, What's next for you, Jerome? Do you have another book in the works? Yeah, I've been working on it for several years. Um, I'm usually working on uh, two books at the same time, not the same day. But, you know, looking at it over a period of years, I'm, I'm, I usually write two at a time. I don't finish them at the same time. So I was actually working on the, the one I'm doing now. I was working on this before... Uh, Sex a love story uh, even occurred to me, um, and this is I'm in my fourth or fifth draft now. I think it's going to take a couple more. It's based on a on a true story, so I want to be honest to history. In this case, I did do uh, some academic research, uh, so I want to be honest to history and to the character, and I want to be honest. I want to represent the historical figures, historical characters involved. Uh, accurately as, as best I can, but at the same time, there are things I feel impelled to say, and so, um, well, that's why it's a novel instead of nonfiction. Jerome, we're uh, we're almost out of time, and the time is going by so quickly. And I appreciate you sharing uh, some thoughts about the book uh, with me and the listeners. Um, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Jerome, do you have a website? I do not. However, I use my publisher's website. So, in fact, uh, if you go to blackheronpress.com, uh, at least they're publishing sex, uh, a love story, they've, and they've published a number of my books. Other publishers, well, anyhow, I use their website. Um, so if you go to uh, the blog on uh, blackheronpress.com, I have an essay there. Um, it's it's about a relationship I had with a poet who died recently. Oh, no, no, I took that back. That was published somewhere else. That was in Raven Chronicles. Uh, the, the essay I have on the Black Heron Press site is... Uh, relationship I had uh, with one of my editors from another press uh, who, who was a good friend and who also died about two years ago. And uh, what I know about publishing, I owe a lot to him for that. 
because um, he'd been he'd been an editor in chief of Dial Press. He'd been, uh, and then he was a founder, one of the founders of Soho Press. And uh, he just he just knew what he was doing. I really admired him. One one of the few people in publishing I've met that I really did admire and really cared for. Well, Jerome, thanks so, so much for spending this time with me. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me, Tom. I appreciate it, too. All right. Take care. You, too. Bye-bye. Bye. That was uh, author Jerome Gold. His uh, newest book, which comes out uh, the 1st of June, is Sex, A Love Story. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. <laughs> Someday we'll join us. 
Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hopper. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is... Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. 
The Tom Sumner Program.com. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. that I want to tell you about is that Romeo and Juliet. Now there is a real thing. It's a, it's a story about how this boy and girl was in love of one another, don't you see? It is. And everything would have been all right for them except that their daddies didn't get along. They didn't. And when the play opens, Juliet's daddy is a throwing this big fancy dress ball and he invited the whole town to be there, but he didn't invite none of Romeo's people to come. And his buddies learnt of it. And they put him up to slipping on a costume and slipping in at this party. And he was a spunky kind of a boy and he done it. <laughs> I think. He done it and he got in there and everything was a going good till all of a sudden this girl, Juliet, come down the stairs. And he was so struck by her that he give a soliloquy right there. <laughs> he did. And it wasn't about being or not being, it was about doing or not doing. <laughs> Well, the do's, they won out over the don'ts. And so what he done, he got her by the hand and started to take her out in the yard. And we'll never know what it was that there's gonna do out there. We won't because this fella Tybalt recognized Romeo for who he was and come up on him a trying to pick a fight. But uh, Juliet's daddy, he didn't want no bloodshed right there in his living room. He didn't, so all he done, he run Romeo off. But uh, Romeo didn't go straight home. No, he didn't. He went out and hid in the yard till everybody left the party. And then when they had all went, he popped up and looked around. And he seen this light come on away off yonder. And he says to himself, he says, hark. He says, what light by yonder window shines? <laughs> He did. And, and let me tell you, Juliet step, stepped out of her bedroom window onto this stoop. And uh, she gave a soliloquy. She did, friends, and somewhere in it, somewhere in it, she says, Romeo, Romeo. She says, wherefore art thou, Romeo? And he popped up and says, I'm right here. <laughs> I thank you. I thank you. Well, as it happened, there was this great big pea vine growing up to where she is a standing. <laughs> and so he clumb up it. He clumb up it, and that is where they had that balcony scene. And he, they hadn't been there but just a few minutes till he asked her to marry him. 
And that shows that he was an honorable boy about it all. <laughs> well, she says when. And he's... Well, he says now, and that shows that he wasn't up there for no light courting. He wanted to get on with it. <laughs> Back then, the reason everybody lived in castles was that there was so many of them to put up at nights. Well, there were so many of them there that they had to keep a preacher on duty day and night. <laughs> Fella Friar Lawrence was his name. And so Romeo and Juliet, they went downstairs and woke him up and told him what it was that they wanted to do, and he thought that was all right. So he married them right there. But then, don't you see, it was a question of where they was to spend the night, things being how they, how they was and all. And uh, Friar Lawrence told Romeo that he ought to go on home that night. And uh, Romeo, he didn't take to it too hot. <laughs> He didn't. He didn't, but he did. He went on home that night, and, and then Romeo thought that he'd better go off and lay low till things cooled off. And while he is gone, friends, Juliet's mama took a great notion that Juliet ought to get married. And then she was in a bind. She was. Because she didn't want two husbands because she figured that Romeo would be enough to take care of by self. And so she went back down to Friar Lawrence to see what she ought to do. And he mixed her up a drink, and she drunk it, and she fell out across the bed there, and everybody thought she is dead. And they had this big, pretty funeral and laid her out in this family tomb and all. And before that Friar Lawrence could get word to Romeo that she wasn't really dead, some of them mean boys that lived in that town told him that she was dead. And he figured life didn't hold nothing for him. So he went out and got him this big can of light to drink. So he went over to this tomb where it was she was laid out, and he opened the door of it, and he says, Oh, my love, oh, my wife. He did. And he went in, and he drunk the lie and kissed her and says, With this kiss, I die. And he fell out across to that. And uh, he was a big boy for his age. <laughs> he was. And the impact of him, a falling on her, woke her up. And she woke up, didn't know what was going on, and she looked there and seen Romeo a-laying dead. And then she figured life didn't hold nothing for her. And then she took his knife and run it into herself, and she expired. <laughs> she did, friends. And the moral of it is, if you've got a boy that courts a girl that you don't like, or the other way around, if you don't want the expense of a double funeral on you, the best thing for you to do is to let them have a cheap wedding. <laughs> This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Gone and left.
pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. <laughs>